unless an organization or your team leader in the organization has made a significant effort to be welcoming of all voices and all diversity and to create an inclusive space, the default that we feel as individuals is to protect ourselves. We don't take that risk because we know that there may be serious consequences and we have seen those consequences for others. Welcome to a special edition of The Ripple Effect. I'm Dan Loney. In honor of Juneteenth this month, Senior Advisor to the Dean for the Coalition of Equity and Opportunity, Kenneth Shropshire, will be your special guest host. In each episode this month, Ken and Wharton faculty are focusing on the critical themes of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We'll be covering a diverse range of topics, bringing you the latest insights and knowledge that you could apply to your life and work. So get ready to dive into this special edition of The Ripple Effect with guest host Ken Shropshire. Well, certainly lots of discussion continuing about the state of the workplace and how DEI uh, factors in. Uh, Great to speak again with uh, Ken Shropshire. Ken, it's an interesting dynamic what we're seeing right now around the workplace here and the thought not only of the employees, but also of the companies as well as to what that workplace is going to look like in the future. No, for sure. And I'm excited to talk to Ingrid because a lot of the what the workplace has to think about is is how do we treat or how, what do we, how do we frame the workplace for these employees to be successful? And Ingrid's work, just thinking about this issue broadly, it's almost like a, a capstone kind of conversation about whatever the issue might be, as an employer, how do you provi- provide a better setting? A lot of her work is done in the healthcare space and in, in hospitals and research there and not necessarily thinking about the specific issues of DEI, but in fact, what she researches applies in any work. Well, I will leave it to the two of you, Ken Shropshire, along with Ingrid Nemhard, who is a professor of healthcare management here at the Warren School. Ingrid, great to have you with us, and thanks for giving us some time today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I think this is a nice opportunity to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and I think is as Ken said, relevant, certainly relevant in the industry that I study of healthcare, but broadly relevant to any industry and any place where people go to work. Ken, it's all yours. All right. Thanks, Dan. So Ingrid, as I said, I'm excited to talk to you about this because I am always learning stuff. I'm By training, I'm a, a lawyer, so we always take stuff that other people do and make arguments with it. So, so I'll try not to reframe anything <laughs> to my advantage. Um, but you know, two things really, really captured me about your work, and it's, and it's so broad. And you, you've been at this for uh, for a great deal of, deal of time, and have a tremendous body of work. But psychological safety and organizational learning. And so, as I was reading the work, I had the advantage to think about it in terms of this this DEI space and what workplaces are doing. So, so maybe we just start off if if you explain to us what psychological safety is in the workplace. Sure. So psychological safety is the belief that it's safe to take interpersonal risk at work. So what do I mean by interpersonal risk? You're taking an interpersonal risk at work when you do things like speak up with a question or a concern or raise an idea or point out a mistake or critique a plan that has been offered by someone else. In any of those situations, you're taking a risk. You're taking a risk that you're voicing something that may be uncomfortable for other people to hear. 
when you're psychologically safe, you feel that it's okay to take that risk and that you're not going to be punished. You're not going to be devalued. You're not going to receive a promotion. You're not going to get the worst office, the worst schedule, because you decided to share something in the organization that had not been said before. So, so there's actually a name for this, this thing, the idea of putting your head down and doing your work <laughs> and not doing anything else. Right. I mean, that's the, that's what people do in the workplace when they don't feel psychologically safe, they close in, they don't voice. And when they're not voicing, they're not voicing things on both sides of the spectrum. They're not voicing their more creative ideas or ideas for how to change work because that seems risky. They're also not voicing things that are going wrong or problems that the organization needs to learn about in order to be better for both its employees and its customers. And so there's a downside when people don't feel psychologically safe at work. Psychological safety is really the idea that you can speak candidly about whatever is on your mind relevant to the workplace and that that will not be held against you. Yeah, I I think a a great, what what sucked me in on the work was, uh, I think it's one of the the earlier pieces that you did that that talked about uh, a medical professional that wouldn't speak up to a more senior medical professional because of the psychological safety issue. And I only think about how devastating that that could be, how how that's exactly what you don't want in that kind of study. Exactly. It was my very first study, actually, that you're pointing out. And we looked at this idea but we've, I, I've now seen it over and over again in healthcare, and it's been proven over and over again. It, you come from a legal background. Imagine the junior associate in the practice speaking up to the partner in the practice. All of those put you in vulnerable positions. In healthcare, we see it, certainly it follows the status hierarchy. So whether or not a nurse feels like she can speak up to a physician or a surgeon and say, you know, as bad as this is going to sound, I'm going to say, you're operating on the wrong body part. <laughs> <laughs> right or this happens or you need to wash your hands because we all know basic you need to wash your hands to prevent infection you see someone enter the room and we're in a busy workplace so it's not out of malice but you forget to wash your hand does someone raise you know does somebody lower in status say you forgot to wash your hands before you touch the patient it can have life or death consequences in the context of healthcare, but it is just as significant in other industries and in other ways in terms of do you invest in that drug or not? Do you change the organizational process in that way or not? And what are the ramifications of that? Yeah, so so it's really interesting to think about that. The how do, <laughs> I hate to personalize it, but I do keep thinking about my you know first jobs and the and the ideas i said keeping my head down i'm not going to say anything and if, if yes. something wrong is going on i mean my earliest jobs were in carrying steel bars in a warehouse and mm-hmm. loading crate on box cars and i i can say i, I can see some things going on wrong and it's it, i'm just trying to get myself away from that right than, i'm not thinking about the whole i'm not thinking about the whole organization i'm thinking about me And that's exactly right. When we look at the literature, what the literature and the experience would suggest is that people think about what the consequences are for them as the individual, not the consequences for the organization. And we're pretty, we can make a guess about what the consequences will be for us, whether that will be positive or negative. Seeing the consequences for the organization can be much more uncertain and they can be delayed. My punishment can be immediate if someone doesn't appreciate what I say. So for just as another issue in the workplace, so so DEI, diversity issues, 
something seems wrong to either a person who is a, a member of a diverse group who's, who's black or Hispanic or um, a, a member of the LGBTQ community or whatever it might be, they see something wrong in the workplace or they, they hear something that they think is inappropriate. The natural hesitation, especially in a, a majority based organization is I don't want to be the one to raise that issue. Yes. So this, so this fits squarely in, in the kind of research that, that you're doing because the, the end, end result is, well, you should say something because it, it might make the organization better. Right. Exactly. So I would not, as you said, I would not be considered a DEI researcher. I have been studying psychological safety for many years, but the two I do believe are intertwined. So, you know, even if you take, you can be diverse along many dimensions. You can be often when we talk about the reason diversity becomes relevant is people who are considered more diverse tend to have lower status in the organization. So much like my nurse has lower status than my physician or my medical assistant has lower status than my nurse, that puts you in a position where you're much more vulnerable and where you're much more likely to, I would say there's a higher propensity to not feel psychologically safe because you know that you are different and you understand your place in the hierarchy. And unless an organization or your team leader in the organization has made a significant effort to be welcoming of all voices and all diversity and to create an inclusive space, the default that we feel as individuals is to protect ourselves. We don't take that risk because we know that there may be serious consequences and we have seen those consequences for others. The thing is that we know that we, we learn, right? We're humans and we learn from experience. So if I'm in a meeting with you and other people and I see someone else in the room who is maybe higher status than me because they are less diverse than me or whatever, raise their hand and the reaction is not positive by others in the room, I learn immediately that I should not raise my hand, that that is even more likely to happen to me because I don't have the social capital to for people to say, oh, no, they would say, oh, that was a half-baked idea. And, and then it goes on from there. And so when you're a part of, when you are diverse and you're typically aware you're diverse, <laughs> you're more conscious of, you know, you know when you're taking a risk. Yeah, and we've said in some other other conversations, too, that you don't want that diversity issue to be the dominant thing that people turn to you for either. So that's that's another yes. reason that may be unique uh, amongst reasons why you don't speak up. I mean, the idea that you're the, 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 the entry-level nurse and you're looking out for your job doesn't have a whole lot to do with the idea of, I don't want to be identified as the smart nurse that says stuff. Right. <laughs> right. You know, you're, not, you're not pegged in the space, but once as a diverse person, you start to speak on these issues, then you almost give license for leadership to turn to you and say, hey, you become responsible. We've got the race, the race issue today. It's so wait a minute. I'm a lawyer. I don't study that stuff. Right. I'm here for the finance issues. I have experienced this myself, um, which is, yes, it, I think, right, there is the becoming responsible for these issues is another 
um, is itself its own issue, right? And how much do you want to speak about this issue? How much do you want to be the bearer of this issue? Um, will you be included after you have spoken up about this issue if you were truthful about what you have observed in the organization? It's wonderful. So my colleague, uh, Amy Edmondson, who's at Harvard Business School, and I introduced this concept of inclusive leadership or leadership inclusiveness in our work in the healthcare setting. And in that, we make this we make this argument that there is sort of the inclusive, the invitation to speak, and then the reaction that happens in the response to that. And it's twofold. And we've all been in situations where we've been invited. So maybe we've been invited to sit on the DEI committee. And then you actually participate because you think you have been invited and you have received a genuine invitation to, to play a role in bringing the organization along in this in this way, and then the consequences are not positive for you. You have to have both, right? The, we've all experienced the invitation not followed by uh, the positive outcome that we hope for. So, so the great, the greater frame to to your work with this DEI space is it, it's fine to create whatever kind of DEI programs you want, but you also have to have an awareness of the psychological safety issue. As you do so, exactly, and, and not trample someone down inadvertently with all with all all well intended. Yeah. We need to yeah. initiate these programs. Let's let's call up Ken and Ingrid to lead. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> our, See, I don't know why, lives, but they're perfect. <laughs> our lives are perfectly fine. Yes. So we called on. Then the, the added issue becomes, frankly, too, for all you podcast listeners, <laughs> becomes. As well, if, if I sit on the couch myself and put this stuff out there, um, if, if I don't do it and word gets out that I don't do it, that's another issue from from my community is, well, you know, he was asking, asking, he didn't, he didn't, do it. he didn't want to support right. his community. Yes. So all this fits in the, under that, that banner. I mean, I love that you raised the point that, which I think we're really seeing, a lot of organizations are thinking about how to improve belonging and diversity, include, you know, all of it. And that is a wonderful thing. We have hoped for this for many years. And I think we're still figuring out how to do it. I, I, I applaud organizations for the many efforts that they try. But what you said is exactly right. Unless the climate really does allow for the free voicing for people to take a risk and deal with these topics truthfully and honestly and candidly, it sort of doesn't matter how many uh, initiatives you announce, right? Because there's a, there is a climate that you has to be built within the organization in order for the organization to do hard work. That is hard work. Diversity and like DEI is hard work. And it means that the organization for many organizations, so this is going to tie into my other stream of research, this is something that organizations have to learn. They have to learn how to do this. And learning is hard and you can't do learning. Teams can't learn to be different with each other unless there is psychological safety. So your point about sort of all these initiatives, yes, you know, it's who you choose to be on them for sure. Uh, there's also the process and what happens once you've put them together and they can't, unless they have this foundation, it will be extremely hard for them to take flight in the way that you might hope. Okay. So, so far my, my education is, so <laughs> if I'm a leader, and I'm going to be focused on psych psychological safety. 
I, I certainly need to contemplate inclusiveness in in what I do, and which which also just by, by necessity means make sure you're not excluding or you're going overboard with including. And a good way to do that, the other word that, that came up in our conversation is is to be aware of the vulnerability of of people as you engage in in this journey. But and it's it's for as I said, it was, we started off for any initiative or for any betterment of the, the, the place of employment, this idea of thinking about how do you not uh, discourage the nurse from speaking up? I mean, it's kind of that baseline idea, which you said, I didn't, I didn't know sort of the first part of the study, but that sort of sets it up so clearly that, that you know, by the same token, you certainly don't want that young intern doctor that, that, that learned that thing in class that the senior doctor didn't learn and won't speak up in the operating room as my heart's about to pick the last beat unless <laughs> right. they give me the drug that this kid knows about. So, yes. so please speak up. Please just, speak up. So, so I do, I do want to just in, in our remaining time, talk about the learning part that, that you raised and, and organizational learning and how to, how to best make that happen. I, I think somewhere in, in your work, I saw the, the phrase, something about how to learn better and faster mm-hmm. It's kind of the, the framing that, that goes into place. What what kinds of things, if, if we got leaders thinking about psychological safety, what kinds of things do we want to leave them in terms of uh, improving the learning that takes place in the organization to get on board with whatever it is the, the company is trying to drive? So the psychological safety piece is about setting the foundation and the climate, I think. Then the question becomes, what do you do? What are we able to do as a group of workers to make things better? And that's the learning piece. And what I think I've learned from my research, well, I think I've learned quite a few things about, but maybe the thing that is most relevant for listeners is the importance of learning activities that really help people to understand how and why they are doing what they're doing. So let me make that a little bit more concrete. In some of our work, we've distinguished between activities that are learning activities or really learn what. Um, and then we have another class called learn how. So you think about learning activity, learn what activities as, Ken, let me give you an article about DEI. So you will read the article and you will magically be my DEI guru because I've given you an article. Our work doesn't show that that necessarily leads to the performance benefits and improvements that you want to see. On the, not that I mean, you have to educate, but when you're using learning activities that allow people to understand why that important, why that's important, and how that is important, and how that will manifest in the consequences that we desire, those types of learning activities make a difference. So sometimes that is about. Um, you know, in the healthcare space, sometimes that is, you know, doing your plan, do, study, act cycle. Let's put something in. Let's try it out. Let's learn from it. Let's circle back around. Being very intentional about those and, and those more active learning activities, those deliberate learning activities can make a huge difference. But we know that workers are not excited about engaging in those activities unless they have that foundation and they feel safe to do it. They have this, you know, that there's a safety, there's the resources, there's, you know, all the things we teach in business school about getting things done, but we need these compliments. And so you have to have an environment. And I will actually say, you didn't ask this, but I do think it is important as, as we move forward in thinking about DEI, that it might be useful to organizations to position it as we are learning how to do this better. 
right? So it's not the difference between sort of a performance, like we're going to be great at this tomorrow versus we're on a journey together to be better at including all of the voices around the table. And that allows for some failures to happen along the way and for us to recover and try something new again and keep at it. And I, and I was going to ask, that, that that's really in, insightful and, and, and you've sort of answered this. And it's funny, now, now we're, we're talking about this, I'm thinking all this in terms of, of my, my now adult kids. And, and, and they're of, well, they, they have been of that generation that, that, that gets triggered and what's the other word that, that you know, I want to bring my genuine self and sort of all, all that, all that stuff. Yes. Your authentic yeah. <laughs> which, you know, which is, we, we had, a, had a discussion on that. It's right. very, very important. So I'm just expressing the 70 year old kind of <laughs> but, but it sounds like, and, and I'm thinking about my kids in, in this sense, we don't often enough give the why, the, the why we're, we're, you know, with kids, because I said so, right? So, so it sounds like the best leaders are, are not saying, take this document, do it because I said so, and I don't care, I don't care how you feel about it. Yeah. Never good to tell people you don't care. <laughs> as a general principle, as a leader, we don't recommend that on the org behavior side. <laughs> uh, but it makes a huge difference to explain to people why they're doing something and what their role is and why their role matters. It can, it, it's a difference maker. People want, I will say many people come to work wanting to deliver for themselves, their teams and their clients and their customers. They want, they don't, people don't go to work wanting to have bad days. Nobody does. So it's a matter of helping people understand how they fit. And when they understand how they fit and they contribute to the greater good, that's motivating. And you want to provide that. You also want to provide an opportunity for people who are at the front lines who really do know what's going on to share that with you. You want to hear their creative ideas. That sounds like a great place to end and a great takeaway in terms of how to improve the organization by making people feel safe, but also having an atmosphere where learning is continuous and that people understand why, why they're doing it and that they are on board with making the organization a, a better one. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Ripple Effect. We hope you found this episode informative and engaging. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review so that we can continue to bring you the best insight from the Wharton School.